Today, I'm coming to you from the altar in our chapel. And for us, the altar is a place where we draw into the presence of God. James 4.8 says that if you will draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. And so for us, the altar is a place for us to come and humble ourselves. It's a place of sacrifice. It's a place of surrender. In the last few hours of Jesus' life, that's exactly what we see. We see Him humbling Himself. We see Him surrendering Himself. We see sacrifice. And I understand that we're living in dark days. But today what I want you to understand is that because of the darkest day in history, we have hope. Last week I was scrolling through Twitter and I came across a video of a young lady. She was probably in her 20s or so. And she had posted a video, and in this video, she was talking about her parents, in which both of them had died because of the coronavirus. And in this video, she was talking about her parents, but then she started asking questions. She started asking questions like, how could this happen in a place like America? How could the government allow the coronavirus to penetrate our borders? But then those how questions started to become questions for God. And she asked a question of God that most of us have asked. She asked, why God? Why did you allow this to happen? And even though she didn't ask this question, I could see this question all over her face. And the question was this. God, why? Why did you forsake me? See, that same question was asked 2,000 years ago on a Friday morning in Jerusalem. That particular Friday morning, the Romans had planned a crucifixion. That wasn't uncommon for the Romans. In fact, they had crucified 30,000 in Palestine alone. And because of that, crucifixions almost became like an athletic event. Crowds would gather, crowds would watch, crowds would cheer. Crowds would also place bets. Which one will die first? And so that morning at 9 o'clock, just north of the city, outside the Damascus gates, on a hill called Golgotha, they crucified three. One was named Jesus. And because of this one, the crowd was larger than normal. It was almost like there was a buzz in the air. People were talking because this man, Jesus, just days earlier had raised someone from the dead. And now they were going to crucify Him. So at nine o'clock sharp, the crowd gathered along with the soldiers and the prisoners. And the Bible says there they crucified Him. At first, the crowd was just what a crowd is. They were loud and raucous. But very shortly, they began to quieten down. Because they began to hear words from the crosses, all three of them. 
The words were faint and the words were short. There's a reason for that. See, when someone was crucified, they didn't die from the crucifixion itself. When someone was crucified, they eventually died of suffocation. Because as you're hanging on the cross and as you hang there, you just inevitably slump down and you can't pick yourself up to take a breath. So your diaphragm, your lungs never fill with air and you just simply suffocate. The Romans figured this out very quickly, so that's why they added one last nail in the feet of the prisoner. And that one last nail would become a cruel step where the prisoner would raise up as much as he could to take a breath and then slump back down. They would do it as long as they could till they just simply died of exhaustion and suffocation because they couldn't lift themselves up anymore. So the words from the cross were always faint. They were always brief because it was hard enough to breathe, much less to speak. But the crowd began to quieten because they heard a word about forgiveness. Then they heard a word about paradise. Then they heard a word about a mother and a son. But then at noon, 12 o'clock, something happened that no one expected. The Bible says in both Matthew and Mark that darkness fell on the earth. Now this wasn't ordinary darkness. This wasn't a solar eclipse. This wasn't a cloudy day. This was darkness, utter darkness. Darkness so thick you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And for centuries and centuries and centuries, Jewish rabbis had taught that darkness was the judgment or the curse of God. And they were right. So as darkness fell, no one knew what was happening. I'm sure they questioned why and what. But for three hours, from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, darkness. 1.30, darkness. 2.15, darkness. 2.55, darkness. And then just as sudden as the darkness came, the darkness lifted. And now everybody atop that hill, everyone watching, began to rub their eyes and trying to adjust to the light. All eyes focused on the center cross because something happened in those three hours in that cross. The time was short. Jesus was about to die. But the Bible says in Mark 15, verse 33, that He cried out. And this was His cry. Four words. Those four words were Aramaic. They were Ele, Ele, Lama Sabachthani. Those four words form a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I want to say up front that I don't have the capacity to explain to you that question and what it meant. But I do want to tell you the implications of that question for you. Because as Jesus Christ hung on the cross, He was forsaken by God. 
So just one question and then one truth. And the question is this, why? Why did God forsake His one and only Son? His Son that He sent to this earth because He loved the world so much, according to John 3.16. Why did God forsake Him? Because on the cross, two profound things happened. The first is this. Jesus Christ became sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. It says, Jesus, the one who knew no sin, became sin so that we could be made right with God. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, which prophesies everything that happens on the cross hundreds of years earlier, says this in verse 6. It says, We are like sheep who have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet He laid on Jesus the sins of us all. See, on the cross, Jesus became sin. I don't understand how this is possible. I don't understand how it happened. But I just want you for a moment to think about every sin you have ever committed. Every lie. Every lustful thought. Every word of hatred. Every thought of anger all the greed, anything horrible you have done in your life. The Bible says Jesus, the one who knew no sin, the one who lived a perfect life, became that sin. But not just your sin. He became all sin. So all the murder, all the genocide, all the rape, all the horrible things that your mind can imagine, Jesus Christ became as He hung on the cross. And as He hung on the cross for your sin, He truly was forsaken by God. He didn't feel forsaken by God. He was forsaken by God. And here is the reason why. If there is one thing we know about God from the Bible, we know that God is holy. And so often in our minds, we think that holy just means that He cannot sin. But that's not what the word holy means. The word holy means set apart from sin. In the book of Habakkuk, the Bible says that God cannot even look upon sin. And so when Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, became sin on the cross, God the Father could not even look at Him. And so for three hours as he hung there in utter and complete darkness, he was forsaken by God, separated from God, because God is holy. And if you want to see the clearest picture of hell in all the Bible, look to the cross. Because for those three hours from 12 to 3 o'clock, Jesus Christ was in utter hell because He was utterly forsaken and separated from God 
the Father for three hours. And if you ever think your sin is not that big a deal, if you think that God doesn't take your sin serious, look to the cross. Because for three hours, Jesus Christ endured the judgment and the curse and the wrath of God for every sin that you ever committed. And He did that for one reason. He did it because of love. Romans 5.6 says this, It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When we were utterly helpless, when we had no hope, when we had no way, Jesus Christ came. And because He came and because He died in our place, The Bible teaches one of the greatest truths in Scripture. And that truth is this, because He was forsaken, we will never be forsaken. Because Jesus Christ was forsaken on the cross, you will never be forsaken. Not only will you not be forsaken, you will never be judged. You will never experience the wrath of God. You will never experience the curse of God. Why? Because of God's great love for you. Understand who I'm talking to when I say you. I'm only talking to those of you who believe in Jesus Christ. Those of you who have been restored to God through what Jesus did as He died on that cross and as He was forsaken by God for you. If you believe that, And one of the greatest verses in the Bible is Hebrews 13, 5, which God says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. You can claim that promise. You can hang on to that promise because that promise is truer than anything I can say. But for those of you who do not believe, for whatever reason, for those of you who reject Jesus, That same promise is not true for you. Because one day you will experience the same thing Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. You will be forsaken. You will be separated from God forever. You see, what makes hell, hell is not the fire. It's not the darkness. It's not the torment. It's not the pain. What makes hell, hell is hell is the only place in the universe where God is not present. And if you never believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches you will be separated from a loving God forever. But listen to me. That is not God's desire for you. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, 9. 
It says that God is not really being slow about His promises. No, He is being patient because He doesn't want anyone to perish. But He wants everyone to come to repentance. God's heart for you, God's love for you is not to perish. It is not to be destroyed. It is not to be separated, but it is to be restored. That restoration comes through Jesus. That is the good news of the Bible. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, you see God's creation. You see Adam and Eve, whom He created to have a relationship with Him. And a relationship they had. The Bible says that they walked with God, they taught with God, and everything around them was perfect. Jesus described it on the cross as paradise. But they thought they had a better way. And just like you and me, they chose their own path rather than God's. And that path separated them from God. And that path led to sin. And now we live with the consequences of that sin. All the pain and all the anxiety and all the heartache and the death and the coronavirus and everything else is because of sin. But God made a way for our relationship to be restored. And that way is Jesus. And because He cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? We can be made right with God. The most interesting thing about that phrase that Jesus cried out is that it's a direct quotation of Scripture. It's Psalm 22.1. If you know anything about your Bible, you know the chapter that comes right after Psalm 22 is Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is probably the most famous verses in all the Old Testament. You know what it goes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. And then of course it closes like this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The only way it's possible for Psalm 23 to be in the Bible is for it to be preceded by Psalm 22. And that cry of Jesus on the cross. Because He cried forsaken. so that now we can cry forgiven. Maybe today, as I say these words, and as you listen wherever you're listening from, it's as if I'm not speaking, but yet that God is speaking to you. And that's because He is. And that's because He's not only speaking to you, but He's drawing you to Himself. 
And today, He wants you to know and experience His love and to experience forgiveness and peace and joy and salvation that leads to eternal life. The only way the Bible says that pie is possible is through Christ Jesus. And the way is simple. Romans 10 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is how you do it. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Today, I want you to have that opportunity. And all I want you to do is just whisper a prayer wherever you are. And the reason I want you to pray a prayer it's because in that prayer, that is Romans 10, 9 for you. That's you confessing Jesus. That's you believing in Jesus. And it's just your way of telling God. There's nothing magical about a prayer. A prayer does not save you. Jesus Christ saves you. But this prayer is an acknowledgement. You believe in Jesus. So right where you are, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And maybe you're thinking, I don't know what to pray to God. I've never prayed to God. I want to tell you what to pray to God. Because it's not about what you pray. It's about what you mean. So if you hear God speaking to you and calling you and you want to know Him and be restored to Him, wherever you are, just pray a prayer like this. Say, God... I need you. Just tell Him that you're sorry for your sin, for going your own way. Just say something like this, I believe in Jesus. I call upon Him today to save me. Oh Lord, I thank You for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray that they could have assurance. You are their God. And that you love them with words that I cannot describe. Lord, fill them with peace. Fill them with joy. Lord, let them know today They will never be forsaken. But they will be loved. We love you and we praise you. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Today as we close, I just want to close by doing the one thing that we always do on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Christ Jesus was crucified. At our church anyway, we come to the Lord's table and we take the Lord's Supper together as a church. The reason we do that is because the Bible tells us to remember. And for whatever reason, we're a forgetful people. So the Lord's Supper is a way for us to remember the cross and to remember Jesus Christ and all that He has done for us and His great love for us.
So before we come and take the Lord's Supper together as a church, I do want to say this because the Bible gives us clear instruction. The Lord's Supper is for believers. It's for those who believe in Jesus. And so for whatever reason, if you have never trusted Jesus, if you just can't believe in Him yet, just don't participate in this with us. Parents, maybe it's a child. Maybe it's another situation. But the reason I ask for a non-believer not to participate is because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that anyone who eats the bread or drinks of the cup that is not worthy actually eats and drinks God's judgment upon their self. So the only way that we can be worthy to come to the Lord's table is through Jesus. So it is for believers. But today as we come, I just want to ask you believers to prepare your heart. And so this morning, I just want to give you a chance to pray. Just a prayer of forgiveness. So Christian, just bow your head before we come to the table and take the supper together. Just ask the Spirit of God to reveal any sin in your heart that you have not confessed. He's revealing things in your heart right now. As He reveals those sins, just ask Him to forgive you. That's all you have to do. The Bible says in 1 John 1.9 that He is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, as we come and as we remember, just bless this time and use it for Your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says the night before Jesus Christ was crucified that He and His disciples were in the upper room. The Bible says as they were lounging, relaxing around the table, that Jesus took a loaf of bread. And the Bible says that He broke it. And then He held up the bread and He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this and remember me. The Bible says then he took a cup. And he said, This cup is my blood which is poured out for you. Do this and remember me. Let me close with just one last prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, we thank You for the cross. We thank You that on the cross, Thank You that Jesus was forsaken so that we could be restored. 
Lord, I pray for every person who has heard these words. I pray that they would walk away with hope. And I pray that that hope is Jesus Christ. And we pray it in that name. Amen.